Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. I want to remind you, Sprint customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with a flex lease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Joining us, she writes for The Athletic. She's got a piece out there right now, headline, The Pitfalls of Parity, Diagnosing the Condition of the Pac-12 and its Tumble in College Football's Arms Race. Joining us, Chantel Jennings of The Athletic. Chantel, thank you so much for a few minutes. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today, guys. Are, hey. you, are you tired after putting together uh, this exhaustive piece? It looked like it took <laughs> a lot of work. It did take a lot of work. I will say that for sure. This was a piece that started, you know, anytime as a reporter that you're thinking to yourself, should this be a four-part series or a single piece? You kind of know you're in for the long haul. Um, and my editor and I went back and forth. I initially wrote it as four separate pieces, um, and then we kind of condensed it and, and took some stuff out and moved stuff around uh, to just be one very long, very numbers and stats heavy, lots of charts type of single story. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, Chantel, just want to give a, a shout out to The Athletic for, for giving you the, the kind of freedom to, to do a piece like this. It must be, uh, it must be nice to have their support in this because it, it really is extremely thorough and it's, it's terrific. Yeah, I think, you know, this is sort of, uh, I, I think I tweeted about this the other day, but I've worked at different places and you don't always have sort of the freedom to spend a lot of time on this. I think people read stuff like this and they're like, oh, we want more of this. We want more stats. We want more deep dives like this. You know, I spent probably three weeks focused on this and this alone, um, cranking out very, very few other pieces. Um, my editors can attest to that for sure. And they would call me and say like, you know, when is your next story coming? And I would sort of say, like, you know, I'm I'm ankle deep right now in Pac-12 numbers. I'm currently pouring over defensive line numbers and where these kids are from and where they went to high school and double-checking and triple-checking them. And, um, you know, reporting like this takes a lot of time. And it, it started even before that. I went into the, the season this year um, knowing I wanted to write sort of a 35,000-foot look at the Pac-12 type of piece. And so especially as the season went along and it looked as though present would be passed in terms of the Pac-12 being um, finishing kind of disappointingly among other Power 5 conferences. I just asked every single person I talked to, whether that be coaches, players, agents, assistants, other reporters, um, really informed fans, you know, what do you think is the problem? And I didn't specify anything, kind of let people go in whatever direction they wanted and, um, yeah, I got a lot of different things, obviously, out of that. Some of them, and again, credit to The Athletic, I had to chase down some leads that ultimately I couldn't prove one way or the other. Or, you know, they were compelling but not super compelling, and that stuff got left on the cutting room floor, but none of that happens unless I'm employed by someone that actually really stands behind their word when they say they appreciate this kind of journalism. So, Chantel... There, you make a lot of great points through this thing, and let's let's just hit some of them. One that I walked away with is the Pac-12 in football is devouring itself. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, and yeah. is this the the fact that uh, that they play an extra in conference game? All that is that good or is it bad? What are we trying to get accomplished here? I mean, it's good for the fan to be able to watch the teams in the league play one another. But if your end goal is to qualify for the college football playoff, is it a good thing to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the analogy I sort of used the most was if you have two really good runners and one is going to run a 100-meter dash and the other is going to run a 100-meter hurdle race, is anyone going to be surprised when the person running the 100-meter dash wins? You know, why are, you know, why everyone at that point would say, well, of course they won. The other person had hurdles in the middle of their lane rather than just going straight ahead. And you kind of look at college football scheduling, which one Pac-12 athletic director told me, you know, that is sort of the thing that you need to be able to see down the road when it comes to scheduling. We're seeing all, you know, people scheduling games for 2028, 20, 2038, you know, whatever it is. And um, Scheduling is really, really important, and going into the playoff era, we knew it was going to be important. We knew that the committee was going to take into account how you performed in your conference, and so is it good that the Pac-12 has scheduled aggressively in terms of how they schedule, in terms of the California schools playing against one another every year, in terms of the fact that USC and Stanford play Notre Dame um, every single year? Yeah, I think as a football fan, you want to see your team sort of stand up like that and make those scheduling calls in that way. Um, But then it's sort of the double-edged sword where if you're going to play better competition, you also can't be as surprised when you give yourself more more opportunities to lose and then you do lose. I like the word in the in the headline, Chantel, diagnosing, diagnosing the condition of, of the Pac-12. And you do a really thorough job in doing that. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with your conclusions. Yet when you hear Larry Scott talk, he'll tell you that nothing's wrong whatsoever. And I know that, that nobody from the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 declined to comment on your piece. But uh, talk about the diagnosis part of the problem and maybe why the Pac-12 is not perceiving it the same way. Well, I think, you know, obviously when it comes to public declarations, you're not going to have a conference come out and say like, yeah, this is a really bad situation. We got ourselves into this mess and we haven't figured out anything with DirecTV and uh, yeah, things are going pretty poorly. Like no one is going to come out and say that you have to put on your PR face when you're making a PR statement. And so, um, you know, I wasn't surprised. I I haven't been surprised by anything the Pac-12 has said in terms of their public-facing image because um, it's just not good business, I guess, to come out and be honest about that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, internally talking talking with people and talking with sources, these are things that worry the conference. It's, it's only been five years since the playoffs, and all of these things have proved to be problems. If there is not a fix on the horizon it's probably a pretty safe bet that it's going to continue to be problems. Some of them, scheduling, for instance, finances, those are things that the Pac-12 can fix. But I think, honestly, one of the things that I thought was um, most interesting and really most troubling when I talked to coaches and recruiters across the conference for my piece was sort of those defensive line numbers, like football participation in the West Coast is declining. But also when you look historically at the players, specifically on the defensive line that come out of the Pac-12 recruiting territory, they are not as highly rated as those players elsewhere. And I went, you know, just to check, I, you know, I checked wide receivers, I checked running backs, I checked some skill positions. You know, the Pac-12 footprint has a ton of quarterbacks, but they do not have defensive linemen at that level coming out of high school that you find anywhere else in the country, especially the Southeast. So is it surprising that 
in an era in which often the best run defense, the best pass defense, or the best pass rushers win national titles or at least get to the playoff, um, is it surprising that their concentration of talent is the Southeast? Probably not. One of the things that you discuss in here, and it's, again, money-oriented, because obviously if you have more money, you have more money to spend on on things that could work uh, to your advantage. One thing I didn't know, Chantel, that Alabama has 19 cons- football consultants and the University of Utah has two. Uh, and if you want to make a comparison as far as money goes, sometimes it doesn't really relate. Oregon only has, what, four I mean, what's going on here with these consultants? And that is a big advantage, is it not? Yeah, it's, um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I know it's, you, you know, thinking even in terms of recruiting, you look at Clemson, I think they had 10 staffers, not everyone full time, but um, devoted to simply recruiting. <laughs> like, you know, and then you look, I, I pulled FOIA documents from UCLA, and when Chip Kelly was hired, they had two guys and a volunteer running their recruiting department and and you think about when you're trying to turn around a program when you're a new coach is there anywhere more important to make a great first impression than on the recruiting trail with recruits with potential players and their parents and their families and their high school coaches no but when you have 30 percent of the power the manpower the woman power the recruiting power of these other schools that are winning championships again i i think the the thing i just kept coming back to as i was doing all of this research and coming to these conclusions and sort of diagnosing the issues. Um, I guess I was just looking at the numbers and the facts and the quotes and saying, you know, is it surprising given X, given Y, given Z? And just time and time again, I said, no, it's, it's not surprising that the PAC 12 has fallen behind given the fact that their recruiting offices are less staffed than elsewhere, given the fact that there are fewer defensive line, elite defensive linemen recruits out west given the fact that you know there hasn't been a lot of stability in terms of coaching staff in the Pac-12. On that note Chantel and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I was going to ask you about coaching and, and you point out that uh, consistency of head coach uh, head coaches has been um, a factor for these blue blood programs that are always on top and you point out that there also has been a lot of turnover in the Pac-12 as, as we all know even going down to programs such as USC which has, has certainly been a mainstay so how much of this do you think is schools finding the right coach and holding on to, or giving that coach the, the time to establish himself um probably all the above you know i don't i there's i think since gosh since the start of the playoff i believe only four of the 12 pac-12 coaches have been in place i might not be 100 percent right on that don't quote me on that i did not do research um just off the top of my head i'm trying to think right now i think it's four though um and you look elsewhere and, and it is a lot of different things. I mean, I live in the state of Oregon, and I was covering Oregon really closely um, during uh, Helfrich's last few years. And I saw a staff that went to a national title game, and a few years later, they're unemployed. So I think there is sort of this what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mentality in college football, which is fair. It's the expectation, you have to live up to that. Um, I think there have also been other sort of interesting fits or maybe hires that have been made um, that didn't make a ton of sense and then sort of panned out that way as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's no sort of 
cover all band-aids for coaching. And I think if you can figure out how to hire the perfect coach at the right time for a college football program, you could probably make yourself a lot of money being a, a consultant. Chantel, another area you got into a little bit was uh, declining attendance at college football games. And I thought it was really interesting, the point you made, that, yeah, that's happening around the Pac-12, but uh, eight of the 12 Pac-12 markets have are pro markets, and that that is competition against a, a formidable competitor, as it was, as it were, and uh, that's difficult for these teams out here, as opposed to, I don't know how many pro football teams there are near Birmingham. Yeah, I mean, if you think about any person, if, if you don't have an excess of money, if you only have a, a certain amount of money to spend in your budget on um, on fun, on things that you want to do in your free time, uh, are you going to buy season tickets to every single sporting team in your city? Probably not. You're going to pick the uh, maybe the team that you have the most like historic allegiance to if you grew up a certain fan, or you're going to pick the team that's done the best recently maybe, which, again, that doesn't go super well for a lot of Pac-12 teams. Um, and so there is that problem in terms of if you look at the SEC or even the Big Ten, you know, I, I went to the University of Michigan – there is nothing happening on a fall weekend in Ann Arbor other than like the farmer's market when it's, when it's Michigan football season. That's, that's the only thing. But if you live in Portland, Oregon, which is where I live right now on a Saturday during the duck season, you would have no idea that college football is happening. And that's not because there's a ton of other markets here. You know, we don't have a baseball team. We have a basketball team and soccer teams up here. We don't have a football team, but that sort of gives you the idea that, in a lot of these markets, in the Big Ten and the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, the only thing happening really from August until December in a lot of these markets is college football. And so when you look at that money in your bank account and you think, how am I going to spend this? Um, it's, it might be on college football. And I think the other thing to think about is just it is so expensive. A lot of the cities uh, in the Pac-12 if you're looking at Los Angeles, which has two schools, the Bay Area, which has two schools, Seattle, those are three of the most expensive cities to live in and to visit in the country right now. And that's almost half of your Pac-12 schools. And so on top of wanting to maybe see your team play and wanting to see your team play on the road, you're sort of counting the money and saying, okay, flying to this city, renting a car, renting a hotel room, whatever it means, um, it's not cheap. It's not an inexpensive experience for a single person or if you're going to bring a friend or your family, your kids, whomever. Um, yeah, and those are sort of things that we don't think about them often, right? When everyone gets mad about the Pac-12, it's, you know, no one's thinking about, all right, well, on the scale of how expensive it is to visit these cities, what is it that is hindering people from visiting stadiums, from going to games, from getting on the road and following their teams and really becoming these diehard fans that maybe in other conferences, there's just, again, to use the analogy, there's fewer hurdles in the lane for for teams and other conferences. Yeah, Jake and I were talking about this earlier. It's, is it Maybe it's a, a healthy sign that uh, beyond the expense, the interest, that people are diversified out this way. They, it's, they don't live and die for college football. Is that necessarily a bad thing? 
I suppose it's who you ask. You know, I'm guessing that Larry Scott would prefer that people wouldn't die for college football. Um, but for, you know, a lot of my friends that live up in Portland, they they don't care about Oregon Ducks football. They don't know when that team is playing or if they're ranked in the college football playoff uh, rankings. They don't They don't know that stuff because there's just other things going on in these markets. And so it's, again, uh, really dependent on who you ask. But if you ask that same question, I would assume in Tuscaloosa, you might get a very different answer. Chantel Jennings with us from The Athletic, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And Chantel, this goes outside of the scope a little bit of, of what you wrote about. But given all this that we're talking about right now, is there any pressure on Larry Scott internally to fix some of this stuff? I mean, have you gotten sense uh, if the, the chancellors and presidents are grumpy at all? Um, yeah, I think there's pressure on him to fix stuff. Uh, the only discussion that's really come about the Pac-12 in the last few years is what's wrong. And I think if you're running any organization at any level, you know, that's if the only thing people are asking is what's wrong. Like you could run a, a T-ball team and if all of the parents are asking what's wrong with the way this team is being managed, you might have some issues with how you're running that team or how long you're going to be running that team. So um, I think he's aware in terms of the Pac-12 media days being this week down in L.A., they're on Wednesday. I wouldn't expect the um, sort of the approach from the Pac-12 conference to be any different. They will continue to highlight the championships that were won in non-revenue sports. They will downplay um, the struggles of football, basketball. I assume they will highlight a lot of the great individual performances made by athletes. And I think, you know, that that is something to champion if you're looking for uh, successful Pac-12 sports. You know, I, I highly suggest Utah women's gymnastics or Oregon women's basketball. Um, but those aren't necessarily the best indicators for the health level of a conference. I think that comes back to football and basketball. So I think that'll continue to be downplayed. We can expect that a lot of the non-revenue sports um, and those sort of comments will come up this week from Larry Scott and anyone else from the network who speaks. So so an attendant question with that one is, as you were doing this research and as you're walking away from this project, Chantel, what, what are your... What what are your gut feelings on what the future holds? Well, I'd like to take a nap. Um, (laughs) um, You know, there's it's hard, right? Because some of the issues that I, I diagnosed, you know, I'm not the first person to point out the fact that there's more money for assistant coach pay in other conferences that, um, the parity, which has been championed by a lot of people in terms of, the Pac-12 isn't a good thing necessarily in the playoff era. Um, but then there's a lot of issues, again, that like Larry Scott cannot fix the fact that Seattle, the Bay Area, and Los Angeles are really expensive cities. He can't fix the fact that if you want to go to a game at Autzen Stadium in Eugene, you need to fly to Portland, rent a car in Portland, drive two hours, pay for that gas, pay for that car rental, um, and then drive back. You know, that those aren't issues that the conference itself can fix. Um, 
and in terms of attendance as a whole, you know, that's that's an issue that all of college football is facing right now. All of sports really are facing right now. And so there there are issues that I think the conference can fix. There are issues that I think college football can fix if, if they decide to really play on a level playing field and say everyone's going to play this many conference games and a championship game and whatever. Um, you know, there, there are ways that the system can help this. Um, but I, I don't expect the conference to be able to fix the fact that there aren't elite defensive linemen west of the Mississippi River, basically, um, and that finding one of those is rarer than finding, like, a leprechaun and a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. You know, those that's not something that Larry Scott and people at the Pac-12 can fix, even though it's a huge reason, I believe, why the Pac-12 is falling behind five years into the playoff. Chantel, we can't thank you enough for jumping on with us and giving us a few minutes. Uh, We really enjoyed the piece and would encourage all of our listeners to give it a read. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, Chantel. Chantel Jennings. Again, the uh, the headline at The Athletic, the pitfalls of parity diagnosing the condition of the Pac-12 and its tumble in college football's arms race. Uh, Chantel Jennings. You know, she brings up the expense of those markets and how there might be limited funds to be spent. But I guess the flip side of that, Jake, is that those markets have a lot of money in them. Yeah, but uh, for your everyday fan, uh, we have a, a tweet here from Jaron who says, uh, look at the market and where these people live. Uh, the West Coast is some of the most expensive places to live. People can't afford to go to games when they have to make sure their million-dollar two-bedroom house is paid for. Well, I mean, I, I can't comment on how the budgeting is going in these homes, but I do know that you know if you're, if you're working out of a smaller town somewhere, you would say, what would be the complaint? Hey, there's not enough sponsorship money there's not enough oomph there's not enough financial firepower for my program to be successful here well down in la yeah it's more expensive but you have more rich people down there well, guys like you, I'm sure, are going no, to the games. Got but, to do with uh, me. you know when you're trying to pack a 90,000 seat stadium that's uh you know an issue seattle san francisco i mean these places yeah they're expensive to live but they have a lot of money in those markets. I, I think it runs beyond that. And she obviously was just mentioning that one thing. There's a bunch of factors here. It's expensive being rich. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, you you get the whole top one percent having most of the disposable income. You know, one percent that implies fewer number of people, right? Oh, that's not true. It's there's not, a lot of roads exactly to maintain down there too. It's Jake. not just one percent. I mean, there's a bunch of people who have. I'm not saying that everybody has money. A lot of people have resources in those markets, and uh, you would think there'd be enough to fill the stadiums up. There are other problems going on here, and and she, that was just one of the items she was pointing at. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. I, I don't think it's necessarily a horrible thing that football isn't the end-all, be-all in the Pac-12 markets. Now, right. there's also those pro teams, though, that there is a division of interest uh, that might be within the, uh, the the sort of subset of football, but there's a lot of other stuff to do too. And well, I, not not for these money people that you're talking about. They can hit the Giants on Friday, the the Cardinal on Saturday, and uh, the Niners on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, but what man? if they want to go to the beach? 
on Saturday afternoon? What happens if they want to go to a play? What happens if they want other they they they're cherishing other forms of entertainment? Well, what if they have to go yachting, Jake? Right. I mean, but these people that we're talking about, they'll buy the tickets anyway and then just do the other thing, right? That's what I'm told. It's always got to come down to this class warfare, doesn't it, Jake? <laughs> On this show, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.